Have you ever felt like all is lost? Uh, My family and I, just a few weeks ago, watched this movie starring Robert Redford. Uh, There's very little uh, discussion or monologue in it because he's alone uh, in the boat. Uh, In fact, that line where he's trying to call SOS, that's one of the few lines. It's rated PG-13, though, because in a moment of frustration, he yells uh, one curse word very loudly. Uh, We didn't know it was coming, and so our son John, who's five, still heard the word, but uh, it's a pretty bad word, and so that's why it's PG-13. But uh, it's a great movie, Uh, and and as you can imagine, uh, this man who's alone at sea in the Indian Ocean feels that all is lost, Because he's somewhere in the middle of the Indian Ocean all alone. And unfortunately, while he's sleeping, his ship collides with a wayward ship container that creates a huge hole in in, in his boat and actually destroys all of his communication equipment. Fortunately, though, as you saw, he was able to patch his own boat. He's an expert salesman. He found a way to, to patch his own boat. But then as he gets to the top of the mast to try and reconnect his communication lines, he sees this huge storm is coming. And unfortunately, that storm is so large that his boat actually gets tipped upside down. The mast breaks. An even larger hole is created in his boat. But fortunately, he's able to escape in this raft. Unfortunately, uh, while he's on this raft, he, he begins to run out of food. And as you saw in that little scene there, he makes this makeshift line and, and he's able to finally catch a fish. But unfortunately, a shark grabs the fish before he's able to eat it. Nothing seems to be going this man's way. He actually sees some shipping boats go by because he's able to navigate his little raft into the shipping channel, but his flares are too small to capture the attention of those boats, and so they go sailing by. Nothing seems to be going this man's way. Have you ever felt like nothing is going your way? That you face one obstacle after another, and and when when you overcome that obstacle, yet another obstacle comes your way? The man is in the boat at one point had saved this water, this uh, drinking water, but unfortunately in the midst of a a horrible storm, his drinking water becomes contaminated and it becomes ruined. And so he's not able to drink that food and actually gets very sick. Uh, He he tries towards the end of the movie to, he sees another boat in the middle of the the darkness and he's run out of flares and so he decides to to light a fire uh, on his little raft with some paper that he had, but unfortunately his raft now catches on fire and he has to jump out of the raft. Nothing is going this man's way. Have you ever felt like that? You got a life raft, you're able to last so long, but then nothing, that raft catches off. Nothing is going your way. No matter how hard you try, there seems to be one obstacle after another, after another. What do we do when we feel as if we're under attack, as if nothing is going our way? To find out, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It may be found on page 282 of your pew Bible, Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So we might discover what we are to do in the midst of these challenging times that we often face. I love the book of Ruth. My mom's name, actually her first name is Ruth. Uh, my oldest daughter, Hannah, we named her Hannah Ruth because it's a, woman of, a story of a woman of great faithfulness who helps us see what it is we're supposed to do in the midst of hard times. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call again upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you again that you inspired people to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. Oh God, I pray that as we read your word this morning, you would again open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, 
Amen. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the, man's of his, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with their two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Naomi, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And she said, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth's faithfulness to her mother-in-law is truly remarkable, isn't it? I mean, most daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law don't get along that great, do they? 
I mean, the fact is that most mothers-in-law can see how their daughters-in-law have now uh, married their sons and how they feel like they've stolen their sons from there. And so there can be some, some natural animosity. In fact, a few years ago, there was a, a movie starring Jane Fonda and Jennifer Lopez called Monsters-in-Law, where, where uh, uh, Jane Fonda plays this mother-in-law and Jennifer Lopez is the future daughter-in-law and they go at each other for two hours straight. It's a very, very funny movie. I actually saw this little joke on the internet I wanted to share with you about the relationships between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law. Here it is. Dear mother-in-law, I do not need you to teach me how to handle my children. I'm living with one of yours, and he needs a lot of improvement. Now, just to be real clear, uh, I love my uh, mother-in-law. We have a great relationship. In fact, I knew Sarah's parents before I I ever met her, and so I'm most grateful for them. My mother-in-law and father-in-law were actually here at the the 8.30 service, and they're wonderful people. But the fact is that most mothers-in-laws and and daughters-in-law do have strained relationships, to say the least. And so it's remarkable that that Ruth would make such a commitment to her mother-in-law, particularly Naomi. Naomi, who seems to be cursed by God. Naomi was a Jew who who left Bethlehem because there was a horrible drought in Bethlehem. But unfortunately, she comes to Moab seeking life and a new life. What she ultimately finds is death, the death of her husband, the death of her two sons. In fact, when Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she tells the people who knew her before she, she left for Moab, says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or beautiful. Naomi tells them to call her Mara, which means bitter. Life had become bitter for Naomi. She was a bitter person, a bitter person who was reeling from the death of her husband and her two sons. She even tells Ruth in verse 13, she says, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, why would Ruth want to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi, when Naomi has become bitter and it appears that the hand of the Lord is against Naomi? Why does Ruth insist on staying with Naomi? Naomi actually encourages Ruth to leave. She gives her a way out. She says, hey, go and stay with your people in Moab while I go back to Bethlehem. Why would Ruth insist on staying with Naomi and go with her to, to Bethlehem, to, to go to the promised land, to go to where the Israelites live? Because the Israelites did not have a good relationship with Moabites. Ruth is going to go into a land where nobody knows her. And she knows that everyone, all the Israelites, dislike the Moabites. Why would Ruth want to go with Naomi, a woman who is bitter, who the hand of the Lord seems to be against, a woman who can offer her nothing, it seems, because now she is too old to marry again and possibly have a child that Ruth may marry later. Why would Ruth insist on staying with Naomi when Naomi seems to have nothing to offer Ruth, going to a country that does not like her kind of people? Why does Ruth insist on staying with Naomi? I'll tell you why Ruth insists on staying with Naomi. Ruth insists on staying with Naomi because Ruth has learned during her years with Naomi and Naomi's sons that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is greater than any God she could possibly find in Moab. You see, Ruth had been raised as a Moabite and she was most familiar with the God of the Moabites. Uh, Chemosh was his name. He's first mentioned in Numbers 21 to 29. 
We learn in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 27, that the Moabites actually would offer their own children as a burnt sacrifice to Chemosh in order to try to win his favor so they might be victorious in battle. I don't know about you, but Chemosh is not the kind of God that I would want my, to raise my children worshiping, would you? And living in Moab, it's likely that Ruth had also been exposed to the fertility gods of the Canaanites like Baal. And as exciting as the worship was of the fertility gods like Baal, Ruth knew that these gods, Baal and, and of course uh, Chemosh, were gods who empty, offered empty promises. They were nothing like the God of Israel, Yahweh, that Ruth had come to know while living as a wife to Naomi's son. Yes, Ruth knew that peace, shalom, wholeness, could only be found in drawing near to, to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of Naomi, not the gods of the Moabites. What are we to do when we feel that as if everything is going against us, as if nothing is going our way, as if we're under attack? What are we to do? Like Naomi, like Ruth, we need to draw near to God. We need to draw near to Yahweh. And we draw near to Yahweh, we draw near to God as we gather amidst God's people. For as Jesus states in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As the Apostle Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes that the eye, that we are the body of Christ, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. As followers of Jesus, we all need each other. And when we come in together in Christ-centered community, Christ's presence is most made known most clearly to us as we humble ourselves and put our hearts and minds towards him. Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When we find ourselves going through a a difficult time, through hardships, the last thing we need to do is isolate ourselves and, and try to take care of the problem ourselves. No, we need to draw near to God. And we draw near to God best in the midst of Christ centered community, knowing that when two or more are gathered together in his name, Christ is present. He is there. As James tells us, the brother of Jesus, in his epistle, James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I remember the first time James 4, verse 8, uh, came into my life. Uh, it was the Thanksgiving of 1996. Uh, that Thanksgiving was particularly painful. You see, the, the weekend before that Thanksgiving, my longtime college girlfriend uh, that I had dated and thought that I was going to marry, in fact, we had had a conversation a week before about I purchased plane tickets to go to Houston, we were, where she was from, and we were going to spend 10 of my 14 vacation days in Houston with her and her family. We were going to shop rings. That's kind of where we were headed in that relationship. And then all of a sudden, she broke up with me, and I just I couldn't get it. Of course, two months later, she was engaged to marry someone else, and then I got it, uh, how that happened. <laughs> She was in California, I was in Florida, opposite ends of the country, didn't know everything going on in her life. But all that to say, I was heartbroken, devastated by that. And we came home for Thanksgiving, and I was so looking forward to landing in Midland and coming home to my parents and, and, and just receiving some solace, receiving some encouragement. But when I got off the plane at the Midland International Airport, I walked off the tarmac, there I saw my parents. And rather than being all smiles and warm hugs, they were very somber. And I said, what's happened? And my dad explained to me that his mom, who was the catalyst of my father's family, had had a very severe stroke in Childress, and she was lying in a 
a jungle of surgical tubes at the hospital in Childress, Texas, and we needed to drive there tomorrow morning to be with her one last time before they had to remove the plug on the machine that was keeping her alive. Wow. Nothing seemed to be going my way. The girl that I thought I was going to marry had, had dumped me. The grandmother who was, who was the matriarch of my father's family was dying. I felt as if all was lost. As if God was somehow, his hand was against me as Naomi felt. I'd become bitter. And in the midst of this bitterness, I, I received an email from Rob Bethman. I had worked as a camp counselor at Mo Ranch with Rob, and he, he knew I was going through a hard time. And so he sent me a quick little email, and, and he quoted James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As I thought about what it meant to draw near to God, I realized that that time in my life, I was not a part of a church community. I was going through training in Tampa, Florida. I was going to be there for three months, and I was not going to church. We were working six days a week, uh, Monday through Saturday. And on Sundays, frankly, I I slept in a lot. And so I wasn't going to church. I wasn't a part of a Bible study. And as I read James 4, verse 8, I was convicted that I needed the body of Christ. I needed Christ's presence to be made known to me. And I knew that Christ's presence is made known to us best in the midst of his community. And so I knew one other Christian in my training program, Terry Cupfer. I said, hey, Terry, man, would you like to do a Bible study with me on Sunday nights? On Sunday mornings, we're all kind of sleeping in, but what about Sunday nights? I said, that'd be great. And so he began to ask around, and it turns out there were quite a few Christians in our training program. We had this great little Bible study. As we would gather together on Sunday nights to read God's word, Christ was made known to me. And I felt his shalom. I felt his peace, letting me know that nothing could separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, as you gather in Christ-centered community in the midst of a hard time, God makes himself known. As we seek to draw near to God, as James 4 verse 8 tells us, God draws near to us. And the truth is that God will reveal to us that, that he had really never left. We were the ones who had moved. Naomi had left Bethlehem to escape a horrible famine, and she went to Moab looking for a new start, looking for a new life, but the fact is that what she found was nothing but death. Now Yahweh has chosen to to bless the people of Israel again with some rain, and so there's a harvest now in in, uh, Bethlehem. There's, There's food again. The blessing of God seems to be back in Bethlehem, and Naomi's time in Moab has been dark. It's been bitter, and as she's been surrounded by foreign people who worship foreign gods, she has not felt God's presence, and so she knows she needs to go back to God's people Because God is made known amidst his people. God is found among his people. That's why Ruth insists on going with Naomi to Bethlehem. Because Ruth knows that God is found among his people. God will make himself known as they return to the people of God in Bethlehem. Ruth doesn't want to return to the false religions of the Moabites that she was raised on in her childhood. She knows that their promises are ultimately empty. And the beautiful part of the story of Ruth, the most beautiful part for me of the story of Ruth, as Stan pointed out just a moment ago in the reading of the genealogy of Jesus, is that God, our loving God, welcomes the Moabite, Ruth, into the covenant community of faith. As we saw with the prostitute Rahab, the God of Israel will welcome anyone into his covenant community of faith who humbly comes to him in faith, regardless of race, profession, occupation, or background. The God of Israel welcomes the sojourner. As we look at the genealogy of Jesus, we can see that God uses two foreign women ultimately to help save the world. It's clear that our God welcomes the outsider. 
Do we? You know, every Sunday we gather here for worship and when we gather together in worship, we're so excited to see our friends from last Sunday and people that we know and so we connect uh, with one another but the fact is that we often have guests. Are we reaching out to those guests? When we see that unfamiliar face, do we take that extra effort to to introduce ourselves, to welcome them to to our church body? To let them know that Christ is in this place and that God loves them and, God, and we love them as well. Yes, God is found among his people. God's presence is, is most apparent as we come in corporate worship, as we turn our hearts and minds towards God together. When was the last time you invited someone to join us for Sunday morning worship? As we look at the story of Ruth, we can see that our God welcomes the outsider. He redeems the outsider. And so we too should welcome the outsider so they might encounter the great redeemer, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, we read in John chapter three in the Greek, cosmos, every tribe, every tongue, God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only son here to this earth who was without sin to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have a a new life if we simply believe in him. He's come to redeem us all. When was the last time we introduced someone to our great redeemer? When was the last time we invited someone to come and join us in corporate worship of our great redeemer? In a few weeks, you know, we're gonna have Holy Week and it's it's a wonderful opportunity for us to invite a friend to come and join us, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or Easter Sunday. In fact, we're going to send a mailer out to some key neighborhoods within our community so they might receive an invitation from our church. What's a great opportunity to to follow up with that coworker or that classmate or that neighbor or that family member who hasn't been in church in a while? Because if we're honest with ourselves, this is Amarillo and most people in Amarillo want to have a place to go on Easter Sunday, don't they? We should begin to pray that God might guide us to see who we might invite to join us. Because we know that God's presence is made known most in the midst of his people. Yes, God is found among his people. So we need to invite others to to join us this Easter season so they too can experience the presence of our great redeemer, Christ Jesus. And the invitation that works the best is the one that begins in prayer. So let's begin now praying for those people God wants us to invite to join us today. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're a God who welcomes the outsider. You're the God who redeems the outsider. Lord, help us to be bold in our invitation this this Easter season as we gather together to worship you. Help us to be bold in our invitation for this Holy Week, whether it be Palm Sunday or Monday, Thursday or Good Friday or Easter Sunday. Lord, help us to be bold in inviting that coworker or that classmate or that neighbor or that family member who's never been to church or hasn't been to church in a long, long time. Oh God, we thank you that you're a God who redeems us, who loves us, and who offers us an invitation to come just as we are, so that we might be saved, so that we might experience a new life as we follow the Lord Jesus, our great Redeemer. Help us to be faithful like Ruth was, and help us to be bold in our invitation and welcoming to others as you have been. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said,